Hi, and welcome to the Write the Story podcast, where we divulge tips on plotting as you listen in to us outlining a short story. This episode has been brought to you by our listeners and supporters on Patreon. If you want to help bring more podcasts like this one to life, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash amwritingfantasy. Welcome to episode 7. I'm Autumn. Before I call Jesper, I want to bring you up to speed on where we are in plotting our short story. Last week, in episode 6, Jesper and I finished outlining the seven steps of story structure, creating the climax and the wrap-up. So now we're done, right? Yay! No. (laughs) Now we have the whole short story plotted, but before we can actually outline it, we want to take a look at subplots and talk about how to create strong chapters. So that's what we're going to work on today. So with that, I'm going to call Jesper. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm good, thank you. Great. Just uh, keeping way too busy, I guess. <laughs> but that's life, isn't it? It does. It comes and goes, I guess. My life is incredibly full as well from front to back, but that's okay, you know. I hope you guys get a chance to enjoy um, the fall weather that we're both starting to get into. Yeah, I don't know why we always end up talking about the weather, but maybe it's because we are in two different parts of the world and then it's interesting or something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, see, this is my favorite time of year, not because my name is Autumn, but I just love this, the crisp day. We're getting into crisp days and sunshine and cool nights and sign me up for this for like eight months of the year and I'd be happy. Well, today the sun is actually out, but yesterday it was both very windy and raining, so it wasn't oh. too nice here yesterday, I must admit. That sounds rough. That's the other side of fall. Oh, well, but, yeah. you know... That's why you want to stay indoors and talk about stories instead. That's what I was just going to say. It's the perfect weather for writing or reading, depending on your preference. But yes, so that sounds like it's a perfect day to get some plotting done. Yeah, so we could do that. I think we were going to... Look a bit about subplots. Yeah, I think that's where we're going to start. Even though it's a short story, I think it's a a good thing to see if there's anything we can add or enhance to ours. For the most part, though, just for the sake of the listener, I don't think there will be much, if even anything, that we're going to add to our own short story here. But at least we can talk about creating subplots a bit and give some insights on that topic so that for those who are listening and who... uh, perhaps picked up uh, this plotting book of ours that we are using as a guide as well. There is a link in the show notes for it. But uh, if you're following along there and are trying to figure out how to do subplots for a full novel, then hopefully what we're going to talk about will help a bit in that regard. Yeah, definitely. And it's, yeah, like you said, it's a short story, so there's only so much we can add. and We kind of already have a subplot, but I think we need to take a look. It's always a good discussion. Right. So maybe we could start by just saying, what is a subplot and what does that mean? That sounds like a great place to start. (laughs) (laughs) So actually, we uh, picked out a Wikipedia definition because it is actually quite good. On Wikipedia, it says it is a secondary strand of the plot that is supporting side story for any story or the main plot. Subplots may connect to main plots in either time and place or thematic significance. Subplots often involve supporting characters 
those besides the protagonist and antagonist. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. I like that. We did make a note in our guidebook here, though, that from that Wikipedia definition, that we wanted to delete the word saying any story from that sentence there, meaning that the subplot, I don't think it's for any story. It is only there to support the main plot. It's not like you just make a subplot for some whatever. Right. The subplot is designed to support the main story and not a subplot to a secondary side story. No, that makes sense to me because, yeah, if you have a side story and a subplot off of the side story, it should always hook back into the protagonist and the antagonist and affect the main plot of the story. Otherwise, why have like a loop that doesn't go anywhere or affect the story overall? You just want to throw it in to the novel. Well, just put it into a secondary short story somewhere else. It's unrelated. Yeah, I mean, the, the subplots are usually about another character than the antagonist or the protagonist, but it should have some relevance to the main characters, what's mm -hmm. happening there. It's, if it's just some arbitrary stuff that just happens because that was very fun, then <laughs> I don't think it's a very good subplot. <laughs> no. no, I always think it should, you know, if it se might seem like a tangent, but if it causes the heroine to not show up on time or to get somewhere early or ends up captured just something that affects the overall plot even though it might only come at the very end and up until that moment it just seems like this side story and then at the end it's like oh it caused this thing to happen to the main character or the it slowed down the main plot somehow it affects the main plot that's a good subplot because it wraps back in, even though it seems like it's going somewhere else until that very last moment where it's like, oh, this is a huge thing. I should have been paying attention to this subplot. Those are the ones I love to read. Yeah, those are good. Or it should be something that enhances the character arc. Mm. It could also be that, you know, it shows a different side of the antagonist or the protagonist, or maybe it causes an obstacle in the main plot. Then I think it's a worthwhile subplot. Yeah. If we take the Dramna short story that we've been plotting out during this podcast series, we have a love story subplot. Yes, we do. For Dramna, which definitely affects her and, and her personality and all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I think in that sense, it makes, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> yes, definitely. I agree. I mean, we already have this romance subplot and that works not because it, I mean, it kind of affects the timing. It gives her a little bit more reason to maybe make her life work out, but she doesn't know where things are going to go with Ubri, her sort of, it's not even a serious boyfriend till the very end. But it shows a different side of her, and that's also a really great reason to have a subplot. So we have a little romance element that kind of shows what she's becoming and also hooks into the novel later on and makes it that much more poignant what happens to them. Not to give anything away <laughs> in the later novels. <laughs> when it comes to subplots, we basically created like three guideposts, if okay. you want to call them that. You know, things that you can look for within the plotting that you have created so far to see, is there something here where a subplot could emerge? So I could just go through each of the three, or maybe I pause in between each of them and then we can just have a bit of chat about it, our thoughts, or maybe also just consider, is there anything in our short story that we could do there? Oh, that sounds great. Okay, so the first one is called Look for Relationships. Oh. <laughs> so it says, 
Those characters who have or get some type of relationship with the protagonist are strong candidates for a subplot. Could our hero be in conflict with another character? Perhaps for some reasons that happened before the story began? More importantly, how about the development of a romantic relationship? You might not be writing a romance, but we always advise authors to include at least one subplot that focuses on courtship and or love. Such elements are part of our human DNA, and by incorporating unresolved romantic or sexual tension, readers will get on board. It works best if it involves the protagonist, but a fling between two secondary characters is still better than nothing. <laughs> okay. Well, I like so that. So we covered there already, aren't we? We did, but what actually brought up part of the, what you said actually made me think again of the relationship between Dramna and her parents. And it's not so much, it affects the main plot, it's more part of the main plot, but there's an ad- antagonistic relationship as well as a loving relationship. They have a, a teenage relationship going on between parents and a teenager. So that's kind of also something that um, it's already, we already have it in there, so I think we're good. Yeah, we already have it, but it's a good point that if we hadn't had it, and uh, we just had some cardboard parents, then this would have been a good place to explore a bit deeper and, and add in some layers on their relationship to make it also, because then it'll it'll feel real as well to the reader. Exactly. Like a real relationship. Definitely. And I think it does. It helps show that she is basically a teenager, as even though she's an elf and so much older than a human teenager, but she's still a teenager going through all those things. And it makes it much more real to have a, loving but contentious relationship with her parents. Yeah. The next one is not really relevant for our short story, but I'm just going to read it aloud and maybe we can add some reflections on it in case one were writing a full novel. But this is about elaborating on point of view characters. And that's why I'm saying it's not so relevant because we only have one point of view character. Definitely. But... The text says, try to find ways in which you can explore the inner conflict and character arc of the other point of view characters. We've said it before, but just to be on the safe side, let's repeat it once again. These point of view characters are not the heroes of the story. Avoid the temptation to dive into several character arcs that end up being entirely unrelated to the protagonist. Instead, explore how you can tie a mini-story of another point of view character to that of the protagonist. No, that's a very good one. And that's definitely one where it's my challenge because you know when I write on my own, I have like (laughs) a gajillion characters and they're all very strong. And you could, I always have a hard time saying, oh, this story, this is the main protagonist. It's when you have a group of really strong characters and then I split them up. Is it three different plots or one plot and two side plots. So this is, that's the one I'm always got to keep in mind when I'm writing and plotting. Yeah. And it also made me think about one of the books we have in the planning for later on the pirate book, which probably going to have like 12 or 14 point of view characters. And we're going to have a big problem with this (laughs) because basically that there is one protagonist as such in that book. But in reality, it's just a, a story about 14 different people living in the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to have a challenge there. Yeah, we're well, <laughs> going to have to figure out what is the main overarching plot and how everyone ties into that to make it all seem cohesive. Yeah, so this can be a challenge sometimes. 
in fantasy with a lot of point of view characters yeah Yeah. especially with fantasy where we love to have several you know it's one thing if you have like two or three but when you start getting into epic fantasy where you have you know with me i think i had six or eight by the time i hit book three it's a lot to juggle it's a lot to give everyone space for and it's a lot to remember which one's the plot and which one is you know just along for the ride and will affect the plot somehow definitely all right then number three it says expand upon the deputy and or henchman. So it says, do you recall how we covered the deputy and henchman roles back in Pillar 1? Well, no, the listener won't know. But <laughs> if you read the book, you will remember. <laughs> Fair enough. We have a chapter called Cast of Characters. That's where it is. Then it says the fact that none of these characters are the main antagonistic force leaves them relatively unexplored. A subplot can be a great way to prevent these secondary villains becoming nothing more than cardboard figures, Mm. granting them their own goals and desires that go against that of the protagonist will make them come alive. Oh, I like that. That's a, it gives me two thoughts because one, it's true. We always have like the main villain, the main antagonist, but I kind of like the idea of having just like we have, um, you know, the buddy, the sidekick who's with the hero to give a voice to the sidekick of the villain, which is known as a henchman. So that would be, it'd be kind of fun. I don't think I can, can't think of any stories where you're reading about, you know, a secondary villain, but it does actually fit our story because to us, the real antagonist is Drumna's own self-doubts. It's more of an internal villain, but then we have at the very end, the apprentice assassin who is causing you know, causes the climax, causes a confrontation. And so she is sort of a secondary villain, a henchman in a way. I mean, depends on how you look at the story. But we did work really hard to show that she had this humanizing aspect and wanted to make sure Dromna was okay and cared for her. But at the same time, she has her own selfish means of wanting to move forward and kill the assassin, you know, master assassin, because she's like, it's it's time for you to move on and give it to someone else. Yeah, I agree. I was also thinking about that other assassin there mm-hmm. when reading out this aloud. But I also started thinking, is there anything we could do to maybe deepening that character a bit more? I mean, it says granting them their own goals and desires that goes against the protagonist will make them come alive. I mean, obviously... This assassin does have goals in terms of wanting to become a master assassin and therefore going after Askel. But it is pretty superficial. Mm-hmm. You know, we That's haven't true. really we haven't really delved into why does this person has this drive? Why is it so important to become a master assassin that you will actually kill your own master to get his place? I mean, if it was Star Wars, you would have the rule of one within the Sith. So then it would just be, (laughs) that's the way they operate. But that's not the case here. Mm -hmm. It's very true. I am wondering if there's something we could just add, and then we can add it in a bit earlier, maybe, in in the novel. I mean, no, I I think we had it so that Dramna doesn't know who this other assassin is. But could she know who it is? At least just in, maybe they haven't talked to each other, but at least like, she knows who the person is or something or or when they're traveling back to the city could they be talking to to each other and we learn a bit more about that person or something we could i mean we have them 
basically talking to it, and that's where Dromna realizes that the apprentice assassin is lying, and because she's lying, and so they <laughs> kind of call each other out. But there could be some truth there as well of of something, you know, especially Dromna's trying to find her place in the world, and she's talking to someone who is also trying to move up in her place in the world. And there could be a little bit of sincere advice and bonding between them before it breaks down into something a lot more tense. Because we, it is a lot, there's a lot we haven't explored, like why Askel and the apprentice assassin are coming back to Winter's Keep. Why they're even there. Are they coming back from a mission? Did it go well? Is maybe, you know, this apprentice assassin upset about the way things have been going or how things have been progressing or how Askel's acting? There's a lot we haven't even delved into that's kind of backstory on their side. Yeah, exactly. And I think that there is a bit of a subplot there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not that like we have to spend an entire chapter exploring it, but it could be one or two paragraphs where we just get to understand a bit what's going on there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if this was if this was a novel we were writing, Askel, you know, something about that whole, or even the Apprentice Assassin, that could have been a whole second point of view, a whole different arc that comes together right at the end. But, oh yeah. But this is a short story, so oh yeah. I think a paragraph or two, figuring out a better, a solid motivation about the relationship between Askel and his Apprentice Assassin, and why they've come to the point where the Apprentice Assassin wants to kill him to free up his primer so that someone else gets to take his place. Maybe it isn't her. Maybe it, maybe she, I mean, I think she's hoping it's her because she's been doing this for so long, but it doesn't necessarily, she could have an overarching idea, reason that we haven't even explored yet. Yeah. And I'm thinking what would drive a person to say, you know, I have to become a master assassin, even if it means that I have to kill my own master. I almost feel like there is some ideological reason behind, you know, there's something like this person just believes like things can't go on like this. And the only way I can change things is by becoming one of the masters myself. I don't know quite what that would be, but I feel like there has to be something more than just like, I want to advance. I want to have the good position there. You're not going to kill your own master for that reason. It has to be some fundamental disagreement about maybe the assassin's guild or the elven society or something like you feel like I have to advance because otherwise I don't have the influence needed in order to change this. It could, but I think the other, again, we haven't explored this apprentice assassin much to know her motivations. Maybe it could be the other way and she is actually screwed up on something and is not doing as well, but she doesn't want to lose her position. And so they're on their way back and she knows Askel's going to basically be like, we shouldn't have this person as an apprentice anymore. This is not working out. Um, it's not who we thought she was. And Yeah, I like that. And so let's get rid of her. And so suddenly it's like, this is my career. This is my life. This is everything I wanted. A heck with you. You're done. Yeah, I like that because we have, well, you call her apprentice, but mm-hmm. I don't think she's an apprentice. Right. She is an ma- assassin. She just needs to elevate to master assassin. Right. 
but we have her in the plot already like she's a bit she's not wacko as such but she is she is a bit weird and mm. and maybe not completely in her right mind yeah uh, she she might i don't know if she's insane but there's definitely a bit something wrong with her. i mean it, it's not normal to walk over and stick your finger under somebody's nose when they're sleeping all that i mean we can like we did in in the previous episode right <laughs> right so we could have we could have it so that she has gone a bit insane kind of without overdoing it at all mm-hmm. but more like Askel is feeling like yeah this is this is not good you know they they maybe they're returning from a mission and this other assassin here did something during that mission that is just like you know this is not good and and the assassin has tried to talk Askel out of talking to the academy back home or the guild back home mm-hmm. but Askel is not having any of it like you say yeah because i could see she's obviously doesn't um have a huge belief in life you know she's not sanctifying life um she's willing to kill her master so she is willing to do- go to pretty strong means and if they were you know, in the human realm or something, and maybe like a kid, you know, we can always imagine whatever happened, that she was willing to take some lives that didn't have anything to do with the mission, because it was just, they were there, and it was conveniently, it would make it go faster, and Askel's like, that's not how we do it, we don't just kill people because they're in the wrong place at the wrong time, and, you know, she just, he starts realizing, yeah, witnesses, and he starts realizing here's a screw loose and that your moral compass is maybe not, you know, where we want it to be for somebody who's an assassin's guild. This is not an assassin's guild that is for like top price and dollars. This is an assassin's guild to keep the world from going insane and off kilter. Totally different concept than, you know, most novels with assassin's guilds. Yeah. And I think that works quite well in relationship to, that we have Dramna, which hopefully readers will like Dramna. <laughs> so having her join an organization, if we can set it up like you you said there, so that we actually explain that this organization is not there to just kill people. You know, they're trying to, well, of course, in their own way, <laughs> killing people is not nice, but no. but in their own way, they're, they're trying to uh, keep the balance in the world. You know, right. to. In their view, they are working for the greater good. Yeah. If it was our world... So at least maybe it'll soften that. Yes, exactly. I was going to say, if it's our world, this is like finding out Hitler. This is what Hitler is going to become and getting rid of him before he becomes it. That is their mission, is to get rid of potential Hitlers. Correct. Yes, correct. So I think, yeah, if we could bring that out, but somehow her moral compass is like, eh, you know, a few witnesses and casualties on the side you know it it happens friendly fire whatever they walked in the wrong area that's probably not the person you want to help make sure the world stays a better place no indeed okay so we add a bit of information it could be a conversation well we'll figure where figure out where the conversation fits in but basically we have it that so again it's probably just one or two paragraphs so it's not going to be too much but but just making a point that they've been on a mission, this other assassin has basically killed some bystanders who were witnesses to what they were doing and didn't want to risk anybody telling them that there was the elves who had been there. So therefore, this other assassin killed those people 
which Askel was is very much against. And yeah, that's sort of it, isn't it? I think so. And I think, uh, I, we, I don't know how we'll work it all in or if some of it's just going to be at, hinted at backstory. But I kind of still like that idea that, you know, Dramna and this non this assassin are kind of riding back to town together and Dramna admits probably, hey, I'm just trying to find my place in the world. And she's like, well, sometimes you think you found your place, but then something happens and you got to watch out for yourself and just kind of, you know, it starts to like friendly advice, but then Dramna can already get the little like, something's a little wrong with you. And then they start lying to each other and they realize each other's lying and it kind of like just becomes this very tense moment. Yeah. I think it'll fit there. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, see, we did find uh, something in our subplots to bring out. I think that's going to make the story a little bit stronger and it gives um, a more of a reason what's going on between the assassin and Askel. That's awesome. All right. So we figured out the subplot part. That was great. Yeah, we did actually add something and we were both thinking, oh, no, it's a short story. There's nothing more we can add. We already have romance. So nope, we were wrong. <laughs> Indeed, uh, this is what happens once you start second guessing or questioning what you've done so far, or even just start <laughs> thinking more deeply about it and try to be creative. You will find things. So it's never a waste of time to review your stories. No, exactly. So the last part for this episode here is to talk about the structure of a chapter. Right. Now, once we get into the next step of the plotting, we would be developing chapter by chapter outlines. Correct. And we will do that in a certain kind of setup or in a certain template or format, whatever you, word you want to use for it. I'm thinking we can just go through that what is our chapter template? What does it look like? And what does it mean? And then probably once we're done recording this episode, we'll go off and do our chapter-by-chapter chapter outline. And, well, for the listener, it'll, it won't make any difference because uh, <laughs> <laughs> you'll still get the next episode on time. But uh, in real time for us, between recording them, it'll probably be a couple of weeks or something like that. But yeah, when we release the podcast, all the episodes will be there. So magic, <laughs> magic happens. And uh, all of a sudden, <laughs> three weeks of work became, I don't know, one week or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be time traveling. This is how it's actually done. <laughs> all right. So let's see here. Writing chapters is much like linking a string of short stories together. If you think of chapters this way, rather than pieces of a novel, you will write much cleaner, tenser, and riveting ones going forward. In order to do that, in general, we say that each of your chapters contains a healthy degree of momentum where the protagonist's goals are clear. A sense of conflict and uncertainty is also constantly present. So we've broken it into a few different steps, and we've created a template that consists of five things. So when we do our chapters, we divide them into number one, character goal, number two, the hook, number three, conflict and dilemma, number four, reaction and decision, and number five, the disaster. <laughs> so I think we could just explain what those are, Autumn, uh, and then 
afterwards we will go off and do this on our own and then come back in the next episode to talk a bit about more about it sounds good and i can't wait i can't wait to plot this it's gonna be you know we both said oh it's just this little short story but now i'm really kind of excited about it especially how it changes it ties into the main novel and the backstory for drama it's really kind of fun and exciting yeah yeah i agree it's the more you get into it, the more exciting it feels. <laughs> it does, it does. Well, this is why we're writers and we're into writing. We geek out about this stuff. But so the first one, which was character goals, that's, to me, that's sort of like, um, like if you were an actor, these are your stage directions. You know, you're walking in, what is the purpose of this scene? You want to know the character should be, have a reason for being there. And if you know that your character's reason for being there, it really helps you write the chapter that much faster. You know why that chapter exists for the plot, as well as, you know, you know, enter stage left, your goal is blah, you know, go do it. Or that leads right into the hook, which is usually what are you doing or why it's not working out for you. Yeah, and also the hook is really there to awaken a awaken a curiosity in the reader as well, because this is what, what will make them go through the next paragraph and then a few pages, and <laughs> before they know it, they're fully immersed in the story. But the, So once we've made it clear what is the character trying to achieve in this chapter, then the hook is something exciting that just makes them read on. Yeah, and I like... A lot of people think the hook is like the first sentence, but... That's what it is written to become, but it's not just the first sentence. It's the first sort of action to set up the scene, you know, what is happening. And then you're going to write it because it's not always an action statement. I mean, it can be dialogue. It can be action. It could be all these different a description. As long as it's, um, you know, someone seeing something really interesting is still can be part of a hook of what is going on. So it's not just that first opening line that you're trying to create. It is what that opening scene that is like makes the reader go okay what is you know you they flip just to see how long the chapter is they want to go to sleep and they see this first dilemma that is happening on screen or first action and they're like oh what is this i want to see what's going on yeah precisely so once you've hooked them then you're probably almost towards the middle part of your chapter and that's where we have conflict and dilemma so we've sorted out the character goal and the hook now we need to build attention in form of obstacles, and that is what will make the reader get through the middle part of the chapter, so that it's exciting, something is happening, and this is also why we settled that there was a goal for the character, because the conflict and dilemma is an obstacle that stands in the way of achieving that goal. So unless it is making it more difficult for the character to do what they want to do or achieve what they want, then it doesn't count as an obstacle. Mm -hmm. It doesn't count as the conflict and dilemma. So you have to find something like, what is it that'll make life more difficult here? Right. <laughs> and that's the that's the conflict and dilemma. I will, exactly. And it's funny because this works even for lulls. I mean, often when I'm thinking about describing this, it's for you know, more of a hurdle and it's an action sequence. But even lulls, you should have nothing going quite as well. Something, you know, they're going to meet someone and something happens to make it difficult. So it can bring out a nuance, you know, other things. And, you know, sometimes 
sometimes it can be a pleasant thing that happens. So, you know, you want to change up your chapters every once in a while. Sometimes the distraction can be something wonderful that completely sets them off their goal. But that's the big thing. You had the character go in with a goal. And so this stage is making it harder for the character to achieve that goal or even taking it away completely. So that's what's really going on here, whether it's a hurdle or a lull and whether it's bad or good. Right. So the next part is then what we call reaction and decision. I think sometimes some writers get this a bit wrong, <laughs> in at least in my view, because reaction and decision, yes, of course, you do have a reaction to what is happening. You are showing the emotional reaction from the character to what is going on, but that's not that is part of reaction and decision. And as long as you make sure that you show the emotional state, even if you can flip the emotional state so that maybe the character begins the chapter being happy and at this point then it flips to being sad or something like that, then it's even better. But most authors can know or are pretty good at showing how the emotions comes forth. I think the more important part is proactiveness in the reaction and decision phase. Like you have to make it so that the character is being proactive. Mm. So they are the ones driving forward a reaction or deciding to deal with the problem. That's why it's called reaction and decision. So they decide that I'm going to deal with this problem and they do that by taking some proactive actions on their own. And we cannot have a character who just sits around feeling sorry for themselves because something obstacles occurred here then nobody's gonna like that character nobody wants to read about somebody who whines about uh, life is difficult (laughs) (laughs) no i i don't i don't think i can add much more to that but i completely agree it's it's the character taking action making a decision though i will say you said um i think i've read a lot of stories where the emotion doesn't come out well And this is a way, you know, the emotional journey is what really hooks a reader into caring about a character and resonating with those emotions. So that's why I like this part of the chapter, because it reminds you, make sure that the character is showing emotion, is having an emotional reaction, because that's going to be mimicked in the reader if they care about the character. And that's just going to wrap them up in it really that much stronger, so... I see a lot of readers, um, novice writers, messing up on not bringing out that emotional or bringing it out too much. So, you know, you don't want to go over the top. I'm not into the big sobbing ones either, but you definitely want to show some character emotion, have them acting, have them being proactive, having them directing things. I guess if you're in the reaction phase, you know, they're not going to be as super proactive. They're going to be getting help. But they have to decide they're going to take that help and they're going to do something at this part of the chapter. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. The last part is then what we call the disaster. (laughs) Now, when I say disaster, I'm more focusing on a cliffhanger. I'm not necessarily talking about uh, something blowing up or a car chase or (laughs) something like that. Sometimes I think... The disaster word could make you think that something bad has to happen like that. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know. You have people who write romances. They can also end a chapter on a cliffhanger without anybody being killed in every single chapter. You don't want that either. 
So this is more about just raising the level of suspense to a level where you as a reader would feel like, I really want to read on now. What? How are they going to deal with this? What is going to happen? So this could be a lot of things. You know, It could be the emotional concern about, okay, this is really bad. What, what's going to happen next? So they try to deal with what happened. And now it maybe it ends bad or it generates a new kind of problem or a new challenge that now then drives into the next chapter. It could also be that we're revealing some secret or something. By the end of the chapter, the reader's like, oh my God. And now we want to read on, figure out what happened there. Just raising the stakes are good. It could be twists, of course. Mm-hmm. That we add in a twist of uh, you get surprised. An unanswered question you can leave hanging there. Oh, I love those. Luke, I'm your father. <laughs> <laughs> and that's I always think, too. It's like you sometimes, you know like a lull this is how you start ramping it up to action where they learn news of something happened across the city or they get a letter it just ends with that like oh everything's been peaceful and blah 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 and i've been healing and relaxing and everything's fine and taken care of and you find out something else is blown up that you totally didn't expect and that's where you end the chapter it's like (gasps) you know the reader's got to flip the page i always my advice is always you know end the chapter writing it that you're excited to keep writing the next chapter because then you know the reader is going to be like, oh my gosh, I have to know what happens next as well. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So that's basically the five elements we use to write uh, strong chapters. And we normally use those five elements in our plotting stage here. So we won't start writing page after page for each of these, but just like a one or two sentences for each and just say, okay, this is how we, this is the goal of the ca- character. This is how we're going to hook the reader. This is a... Uh, how we're going to build the tension and and so forth. Yeah, and it works great because once you have that down, when you go to actually write it, you look at your notes, you know where you're going, and you can write that much better because you... And you stay on track so you don't get wandering off the plot somewhere and find out you're totally in the wrong town and now Dromna's fighting dwarves and we're like, this is not at all what we had planned. (laughs) (laughs) And it can happen. It has happened before that we come you know a story completely derails itself and becomes something else it it has happened more time than once and a plot really helps with this it does i mean sometimes the sometimes it works out fine but so often then you're lost and you have extra chapters and you end up cutting things and this keeps that from happening and you can write faster and get stories out to your readers which makes them happy yeah, indeed, indeed. So I think, Autumn, I think we will go off now and do our chapter-by-chapter chapter outlining, and then we will be back next time with probably what's going to be the last episode of this limited series here. Sounds good, which also means we're going to be close to having a short story done, so I can't wait. Yeah, for sure. And of course, we will let the uh, listeners know here once the short story is ready, so that... Uh, We'll later on we'll release a short announcement okay. just to say when it's ready and you can go and grab it if anybody is interested to say, hey, I want to read this stuff that they've been talking about so much. <laughs> uh, and it's gonna be free as yeah. well. It's gonna be in our readers library that we make free for readers. Uh, they can get it from uh, our website. So we'll let you more know about that later. Sounds great. And yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it turns out after all the plotting. I'm thinking it's going to be close, but there's always when writing, you know, little things come up. So it'll be interesting to see how it all aligns. All right. Well, talk to you probably not next week then, Autumn, but uh, when we're ready, we'll talk again. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm looking forward to doing some outlining. Have a good 
week or so. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Write the Story, a limited series podcast. Please consider to support. It will help us make more podcasts like this one in the future. Go to www.patreon.com forward slash amwritingfantasy. 